Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Woman Who Touched Jesus by Pastor Sean Wood. If you'd like to meet me in Mark chapter 5 this morning, last week I spoke about a groovy little dude called Bartimaeus. Uh, Bartimaeus was the man that stopped Jesus. Now Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Jesus Uh, the Gospel of Luke tells us that he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. He's leaving Jericho and there is a blind man amidst all the crowd, amidst all the noise, amidst everything that's going on, there's one blind man that cries out to Christ and Jesus stops. Bartimaeus was the man that stopped Jesus. Today I want to introduce you to the woman who touches Jesus. Next week, I would like to introduce you to the man that astounded Jesus. Three miracles that happened in the Bible and three that I wanted to pick out. And as I said last week, when we look at the miracles in the gospel, when when we look at the healings or when we look at the lepers being cleansed, uh, what we need to remember is these are not prescriptions for us. These are not formulas that that we formulate. Rather, they are a description both of what faith looks like. We'll cover a little bit of that today. Uh, It's a description of what faith looks like, but also what happens to a person's life when they encounter Christ. We're going to see a similar situation today as we saw last week with Bartimaeus. Last week we saw that there was a crowd around Jesus, but one man receives. And if you... anything about the first century, you would have known that blind Bartimaeus would not have been the only blind beggar by the side of the road that day. But he was a man that received and encountered Christ. And we're going to see today that there is a woman amidst an enormous crowd and she will receive from Christ. But this is a this is a freaky kind of miracle. This one and next week, next week blows me out of the water, but but this one's Really, really freaky. This blows formulas and prescriptions right out of the water because Jesus doesn't look at this woman. Jesus doesn't speak to this woman. Jesus doesn't give this woman one piece of attention until after the miracle happens. I find that profound. And if, you, if that doesn't stop us for a moment and go, hang on a second, what's going on here? Jesus, don't you have to do some kind of magic voodoo? Don't you have to kind of, don't we have to get some mud? Don't we have to pray? Don't we have to grab hands? Jesus doesn't do any of that. He does in some of the other miracles, absolutely. But there's a very interesting account that unfolds with this woman. Uh, If you'd like to meet me in Mark 5, verse 24 is where we'll start. But a little bit of backstory here is... Uh, Jesus, has, Jesus was on one side of the Sea of Galilee where predominantly it's Gentile. Then he comes back over to the side that is mostly inhabited by Jews and when he gets off the boat, he meets uh, a man that we would know as Legion. He has a legion of demons, a man that, used to, that was naked, that lived amongst the tombs, that used to cut himself. And what happens to this man freaks everybody out. Uh, Jesus absolutely touches legion and what we see is uh, we hear the whole herd of pigs thing but but what happens at the end of it when legion is sitting there in his right mind it freaks everybody out and they say you've got to go away 
I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, but everybody that's there says, Jesus, you've got to go away. This is, this is far out. Everybody in that village knew what Legion was like. And Jesus makes his way, and as he is, uh, a leader of, you've got to feel for Jairus here, by the way. Jairus comes to Jesus and says, uh, he's a leader of the synagogue. He's a religious leader at the time, and he, he comes to Jesus and says, my daughter's sick and at the point of death. And Jesus says, I will come. But on the way, Jesus is interrupted. And we're going to have a look at the interruption today. <laughs> this is what I love about Jesus. It, just, it was never in a hurry. But he's interrupted and by the time Jesus finishes with this lady, bear a thought for Jairus that the people come from Jairus' house and go, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter has passed away. Jesus doesn't flinch. Jesus still goes to Jairus' house and you can read the account of what happens later on. But I want to I focus on this lady today because what happens here is to me, it, it shocks some of our formulas and it might shock some of our traditions, but... Uh, verse 24, and he went with him, that was Jairus, and we see that in a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Uh, another word for the word thronged is pressed. Jesus is in the middle of an enormous crowd. This is very important as the story begins to unfold because everybody is coming in contact with Jesus. Everybody is around Jesus. And here's one of the scariest things I've found with the account of Bartimaeus and the account of this woman. You can be around Jesus and completely unaffected by him. That freaks me out. But what I do find is, particularly with Bartimaeus and this woman, that the difference between the crowd and this woman and Bartimaeus is faith. It's not, it's not how spiritual they were or anything like that. And it's not the amount of faith. We looked at that last week. It can't possibly be about the amount of faith because Jesus said, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, smallest seed on the planet is the mustard seed. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain. So it's not about amounts. It's not about how much you've got. It's about, as we looked at last week, it's about the object of our faith. Tim Keller highlights this beautifully when he's talking about the Israelites coming through the Red Sea. Can you imagine for a moment that you've left Egypt and you come to the Red Sea and you turn around and the Egyptian army's pursuing you and you think, we're gone. We've come all this way just to be killed by the army anyway. And then all of a sudden the sea parts and there's two walls of water on either side. Who knows that out of the at least 600,000 people that walk through on dry land, who knows that out of all of that 600,000 people, some of them are probably looking at the water going, who knows that some doubts may have arisen in a few of their minds. It's like walking in an aquarium without any glass. But they all pass through. Why? Not because of how much faith they had, but because God was the object of their faith. We will see today, and we saw last week, the amount of faith is not what's important. It's the object of our faith. A great crowd presses around, and there was a woman. I love this story particularly, but I also like John 4 for one reason. It highlights the fact that Jesus valued women as much as he did men. First century culture, this was absolutely taboo. 
But Jesus honours women just as much as he does men. In fact, the first evangelist, John chapter 4, is a woman. And we don't actually know who this woman's, what this woman's name is. We know she's a Jew. She's in covenant with God. We know, because we're about to read, if we keep reading on, it says, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, this is recorded in each one of the synoptic gospels, but we're not told specifically what the problem is. But we do know, according to the terminology, that it would have been a continuous problem, uh, like a lady's problem here. This lady has had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And we're going to see that not only is this a physical problem for her, but this extends a lot further and a lot deeper. Because the fact that she is bleeding under Levitical law, Leviticus chapter 15, it means that she is unclean. It means that nobody wants anything to do with her. It probably means her husband very shortly thereafter divorced her and left her. If she has children, they can't associate with her. If she wanted advice from the priests of that day, she wouldn't have gotten any. She wasn't allowed anywhere near them. Bear that in mind as the story unfolds. Anybody she comes in contact with will be declared ceremonially unclean. If we read on, we see, and we'll have a talk about the extent of this. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much. She had suffered much. Why? Because this goes far deeper than the physical. And this is what happens both with sin and everything in our lives. It extends so much deeper than the physical. I have, I know people that have been so bitter and twisted in their soul over events that have taken place in their life that it has manifested in their flesh. They have become physically ill because of something that twists them up on the inside. And I've also known people that are physically unwell and it has detrimental effects on their emotional health. But it still goes deeper than that for this particular woman. She has a discharge of blood, which means she is suffering physically. She, uh, um, she would be suffering emotionally. Why? Because nobody wants anything to do with her. She can't go to the marketplace and buy food like everybody else can because nobody wants to come in contact with her. She doesn't have any family. She doesn't have any friends. And the deepest of all is she has some spiritual suffering because she's not allowed anywhere near the temple. She's not allowed in the court of the women. She's not allowed anywhere near anybody else that's worshipping. She is separated from family. She is separated from uh, every person and she's separated uh, in a sense from God. You see, sin doesn't just break you at one level. Sin will break you right the way through. And I love the fact that each one of the gospel writers include what happens afterwards. They they add this little bit to her suffering. Who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. And... I admire our medical staff. I have had a son that has had neurosurgery multiple times. I deeply admire our medical staff and I thank God for them. But there isn't a doctor on this planet that can heal you spiritually. Not one. 
no guru. Dr. Phil can't even, he can't even heal you spiritually, believe it or not. I thank God for doctors that deal with the body. I thank God for counsellors that can help us with our emotions. But there is only one physician, friends. There's only one physician in the universe that can actually make you whole. And you won't find him here on this planet. He doesn't have a PhD. He didn't go to any of our universities. She has exhausted every avenue. We are living in a culture now. We are living right now in a secular society and culture that is so broken and so damaged that they, are, they have sought out every avenue they can. Some people seek it out in addictive behaviour. Some people seek it out in destructive relationships. Other people seek it out in what it is in, in social status and, and trying, to, trying to amass a kingdom here. But it doesn't matter what physician you consult. Until you find Jesus, you will be broken. You can only be made whole by one person. This woman here has suffered much at the hands of physicians. Why? Every physician she has gone to would have given her some other guru remedy. Go and anoint yourself with this. Drink that. Eat that. Take some kale. (laughs) And amen to the left. And after much kale, the the fact of the matter is she's looking for answers, but she's looking for them in all the wrong places. And so many people look for answers in all the wrong places. But there's good news. Why? Because verse 27 starts with, she had heard the reports about Jesus. She had heard the reports about Jesus. And when we hear, when we strike the word in the Gospels, particularly the New Testament, where it says to hear or heard or hearing, it's not talking about sounds reaching your ears. It's talking about understanding the meaning of the message. That you're grasping what's going on. And you know, a lot of Jesus' words we find reach people's ears, but never reach their minds. Tim Keller beautifully highlights the three steps of faith. We're gonna, we, get the, we get the ability here to view the third one, but it always starts with understanding. Hebrews chapter 11 says, uh, By faith we understand that the universe was framed by the word of God. We understand. That means it cognates here. Uh, we're going to understand what hearing is so important in a moment. And then from understanding, Tim Keller says, that we, we move from understanding to conviction. It goes from our head to our hearts, and that's what faith is. Faith is a firm persuasion or conviction based upon hearing. That's the Greek word, pistis. You have formed convictions and persuasions, and that's what's happened to this lady. But there's a third level of faith that we so often forget, and that's called commitment. That's where it goes from your head to your heart to the rest of your body, and that's what happens with this woman here. She's heard the reports about Jesus. If we want people's lives changed, they have to hear about Jesus. They can't hear us inside of here. The people out there need to hear about Jesus. Why? Because Romans 10 tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Yeah. 
But she had heard the reports of Jesus. Here's a woman that has no hope. Here's a woman that has exhausted every avenue she can find. And she says, now I have hope. Why? Because there's this man that's been cleansing lepers. There's this man that's been raising the dead. There's this man that encountered Legion when he got off the boat. And now Legion's in his right mind. Surely he can deal with my blood issue. Yes, and he can deal with a lot more than that. She had heard the reports. Now, faith, we understand. We, uh, volumes have been written trying to define faith. The fact is, you can't define faith fully by words. Words are a poor way to tell you what faith is. So how do we understand faith? By expression. It's kind of like love. I could, say to, I could say to anybody in this room, I love you. And those words are empty. And those words really don't convey what I mean by that until I act and I show you my love. It's the same way with faith. Faith is exactly the same. That's why people say, yeah, I believe in God. Um, okay, that's interesting. Because your life doesn't display what your words are telling me. It's not about perfection, it's about direction. But I love what this woman says. She had heard the reports about Jesus and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. She touched. Rule number one, women do not associate with men in the first century. You do not come up to a man unannounced in the first century. Rule number one. Rule number two, if you're ceremoniously unclean and you touch somebody, they're starting to pick up stones. This is an enormous risk that this woman takes. She doesn't get Jesus' attention. She doesn't cry out. But listen to the words of her heart. For she said, verse 28, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Who knows that there was no power in the garments of Jesus? Because if there was, every single person there would have got zapped. (laughs) But there is power in the garments of Jesus. It just depends on who's laying hold of them. J.I. Packer says that faith is an embrace. It is a reaching out. It is a taking hold of. Faith is not merely what we agree with in our minds. Faith is extending our arms. It's like, uh, I love what Spurgeon says, faith is like the hands of the soul. It reaches out and grabs hold of God. And this woman here is reaching out far deeper than her hands. There's, There's not a hand on the planet that is worthy to reach out and touch his garments, but he allows it. And of all the people that touch Jesus this day, this woman actually receives. What we see here is the object of her faith. If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed. You know, you can, you can hang around Jesus and be unaffected. I, you, can, you can come to church for as long as you like and you can sit in the pews as long as you like and be completely unaffected. You can also be profoundly transformed. <laughs> and it rests with us. It doesn't rest with how worthy you are. 
It doesn't rest with how much faith you've got. We're starting to learn that. It rests with the ability to abandon everything else and reach out to Christ. She has taken an enormous risk. And I want to ask everybody in this room here today, what is stopping you from reaching out to Christ? What is stopping you? Last week, the crowd tried to stop Bartimaeus. And he cried out all the louder. And I would tell people in this room, you do whatever you've got to do. You ignore everybody else and you reach out to Christ. We don't have any formulas here. We don't have any programs or systems here, but we do find some commonalities. What happens when somebody finds uh, that they are desperate and in need? (laughs) There's Jesus. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon says, I have a great need of a saviour. I have a great saviour for my need. What was the turning point for the prodigal son? This is the problem with the crowd, you see. See, the crowd's hanging around Jesus, but one woman reaches out. But why? Because she's desperate. Why? Because she's reached the end. Why? Because she's got no hope except for Christ. But but what was the turning point for the prodigal? The prodigal takes his inheritance and and life's good. Uh, You know, it's... I'm out living life, I'm doing what I want, I've got all the money I want. But then all of a sudden, he's out feeding the pigs, which is an enormous insult for Jews, by the way. Uh, He's out feeding the pigs, starving to death. And the parable tells us that he came to himself. And the moment that he came to himself, the moment that he realised, I'm in a position and I'm in a place and I'm in a situation that I don't have to be, there was a turning point and he headed back to his father. God will bring every single one of us to the point where we know there's only one hope for us. May he do that to each person. I will be made well. And the the word for well there is exactly the same as it was last week. It is the word whole. In the Greek, it means whole. Who knows that last week Bartimaeus could have received his sight. He He could have saw again, but still been broken and still been deeply, deeply damaged. And who knows that this today, this woman here, could her blood might stop. But she's not whole because she's still broken and she's still damaged. There's only one person that can make us whole. If I reach out and touch the hem of his garments, I will be made well. I will be made whole. And what I love about this is immediately uh, the discharge of blood stops. And what should have happened is Jesus should have become ceremoniously unclean. Oh, no. The reverse happens. See what happens when the unclean touches Jesus? The reverse happens. She becomes whole. She becomes pure, cleansed. Mm, Thank you, Jesus. That's good preaching. Thank you in the back row. (laughs) And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. There's a transaction that's happened. Perceiving that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Who touched my garments? Who touched me? Who knows? And the disciples are going to raise the elephant in the room in the moment. (laughs) Who knows that 
How many people do you think might have touched Jesus on this day? Only one person actually really touched Jesus, and it was this woman here. And the difference between her and every other person that came in contact with Christ was she reached out to Christ from faith. From a desperation, she, she let everything else go. She risks everything and she touches Jesus. And who knows that Jesus actually already knew who it was. Jesus is all-knowing. He's God. Why would he ask that question? If he could turn around and know who it was that touched him, why would he ask the question? Because she needs to stand up and say, Jesus, touched me. She needs to stand up and say, I touched the hem of your garments and I've been made whole. And that's exactly what faith looks like. Faith looks like there's a transaction that's happened here. There's something in my bank account that wasn't there before. I was spiritually bankrupt. Something's happened. And so she does. Let's read on. Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? You see the crowd. You see what's going on here? What I love about Jesus was, Jesus was able to attract crowds. But he was always attempting to draw the crowd through onto the pathway of becoming committed and his core people. He was always trying to move people. That's why when we get to Matthew chapter 16, he says to his disciples, okay, what does everybody say? Who does everybody say that I am? And they say, they give, a, they give three answers, all of them miraculous, by the way. Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the prophets. Each one of them, John the Baptist, would have been miraculous. John the Baptist is dead. So there was something miraculous about Jesus. But he's asking the question because he wants to settle it with his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Amidst all the voices of this world, who do you say that I am? Moving them from the crowd to the committed. It's the same disciples in, in the Gospel of John that were, would say, when Jesus says to them, will you leave also? Peter turns around and says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Profound, profound answer. You see the crowd. And I would encourage everybody here today to move from the crowd. Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fear and trembling of what might happen. And she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She comes and declares what has happened. I reached out to you. I came up behind you. I took hold of your garments. And this is a profound miracle. Why? Jesus doesn't address her. Jesus doesn't say a word. Jesus doesn't lay his hands on her. But yet she is made well. She reaches out in faith. Jesus goes on and says a very profound word. Jesus never says this to anybody else. No other woman that Jesus encounters does he say this word to. He says to her, daughter. He uses the word daughter when he addresses her. Daughter, he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. What's the difference between a woman and a daughter? relationship. There's an amazing transaction that's happened and it's deeper than what's happened in the physical. 
When you encounter Christ, the transaction is deeply profound. She has moved from a woman to a daughter. Why? Because she's in relationship. Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Your faith. She didn't steal a miracle. She didn't sneak a miracle. Jesus wasn't blindsided. She received. She was the one that received that day because she reached out. From a point of desperation, she reaches out. She lays hold of Christ and she's touched. When we come to the end of the story, the story is about a woman who touched Jesus. But as we reach the end of the story, I do ask myself the question, who really touched who? I have three questions as we bring this to a close today. Are you the crowd or are you the committed? Are you willing to risk all and reach out to Christ? It's going to cost you something. It costs us something. And last of all, we all seek a touch from Jesus, but are we touching him? I would encourage everybody here, whatever it is that has stopped you in the past, whatever it is that is stopping you now, do whatever you have to do to lay hold of Christ. Because he's there. So often we get trapped in, if I just wait long enough, God will just come and zap me. If I, if I just read enough of the Bible, if I just... It's not about that. It's about laying hold of Christ and extending your faith. Let us pray. Just ask if we could be silent for a moment. Jesus, the truth is we are all broken. We were all damaged and you are the only one that can make all of us whole. Jesus, I pray for faith to grow in the hearts and lives of everybody here. I pray, Father, for the broken to meet Jesus. I pray for the lost to be found of you, Lord God. I pray for those that are hurting to be healed and to be made whole. I pray for every person to taste and see that the Lord is good and to encounter you. Lord, I thank you that you don't turn anyone away. And you are available for everybody who reaches out. Lord, we give you the glory and the thanks and the praise this morning in your wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook 
at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.